Well, welcome to the journey. Uh, we have Michael Michael Kelly. Yes. Right? And um, th- welcome to the journey. And I uh, let me tell you a little bit about the journey. The journey is um, just ordinary individuals coming on um, to the show to just have conversations about the story of their life, of how they have um, navigated through their life, what obstacles that they've had, what lessons they've learned from those obstacles. Um, through those obstacles, how was their resiliency developed? How was there some transformational experience that happened? Um, how did they fail forward? How did they take things that were setbacks and then um, find the gift within that um, obstacle, within that setback, and then um, proceed through life and maybe carry that message on to someone else? And so uh, now we got to know each other over the last couple of years, and yeah. um, and and you helped out um, a year ago, um, uh, performed for us uh, with our Shatter Our Silence Out of the Ashes, and uh, provided some um, background music uh, for individuals as they met the artist and were coming into the theater, and that was last September. And we have another event coming up this year, Out of the Ashes, on September 5th. Um, at Giovanni's. And so that'll be another yeah. opportunity for you to be part of that. And, uh, but before we jump into, um, uh, certain elements of your, of your story and your experience of life, what, um, what do you do for fun when you have an opportunity to have fun, relax? Uh, what, what do you do for fun? When I do find that, uh, that precious time off, yeah, yeah. um, I'm a Frisbee golf guy. Okay. Uh, you know, I live in Freeport and they got an awesome, 18 hole oh, uh, I didn't course know there. Oh, yeah, at Crate Park. Freeport Park District rocks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I use my bicycle uh, as a golf cart, so to speak. Okay. Uh, and so, um, you know, that there's that. Um, you know, uh, finding that time to spend with my, uh, my grandkids. I have two. They just turned uh, two and four yesterday. Oh, really? And so that uh, that's... There's a certain kind of peace, but yet craziness that goes with that. You know? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, now, did they have the same birthday? Four days apart. Four days apart. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. two and four. Just, okay. But, and what's their names? What's their names? Uh, my four-year-old is Atticus. Okay. And uh, the two-year-old girly is uh, Epliana. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you have how many children of your own? Two, two daughters. Two daughters, okay. And what's their names? Tiffany is my oldest, and Noha, my youngest. Okay, all right. She's the, the mommy of, okay. the, of the grandbabies. Okay, nice. Okay. Now, uh, growing up, did you grow up in Freeport? No, no, I grew up in Clinton, Iowa. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right, and and so you were in Clinton for how, for how long? I mean, you graduated from high school in Clinton? I uh, ended up... My dad worked at General Electric, okay, um, and so that was uh, in Morrison, Illinois. Oh, okay, uh, about twelve miles, uh, whatever direction that is, mm. in, in, in Illinois there. But um, uh, so we ended up moving there, seventy seventy one. Okay, so I pretty much you know like the the end of the junior high and all of high school was uh, was in Morrison. Okay, all right, but, and then you have siblings? No. So your only child. Only child. Only child. Okay. And dad worked at General Electric. And what did mom do? Mom is a retired school teacher. Okay. Like second grade level. Okay. All right. Okay. Quite quite precious. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And when your dad was at GE, what did what did he do at GE? Electrical engineer. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so now, was was he was he a 
I mean, obviously he came, he was able to come home every night, but, um, worked a lot of hours. I'm assuming as a, as a electrical engineer. Well, from what I remember, I mean, he's, he's my stepdad. I, I mean, I never, I never ever call him that, but, um, I didn't have a father all the way. He, he met my mother when I was like seven. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah. So there's that, there's a, there's a little, uh, fatherless time there. Okay. You know, so your so your bio, so the person you refer to as dad is technically your, your stepfather. Yes. And then your biological father, have you ever met him? I finally met him face to face in my forties. Oh, okay. Many, many years later. Sure. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, he dropped my mom and I off and I guess he said he'd be right back, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. He must have got lost somewhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got distracted. Kind of unclear of the the, the whole story, you know. Sure, but uh, my sure. mom doesn't really talk about it much. So. Sure. Okay. okay. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So so you were obviously with your mom from from obviously birth, and then um, your dad came into the picture. Your stepfather came into the picture when you were around seven, and and so obviously that's going to make a big difference in how life goes and, oh, yeah. and all that. And so if there was one thing that you can think of, what, what, what was it like being an only child? I, I have a younger sibling. I know what it's like to be the oldest child. I don't know what it's like to be an only child. So what's what was it like if you think back? What was that like? You know, it's it was very, well, you know, being in the 60s and, and in the 70s. Um, but, you know, just that uh, I didn't know what was out there, okay. you know, and, uh, trying to figure it out, you know, the curiosity that, you know, technology, well, there wasn't much, mm-hmm. you know, um, the music and, you know, how do you learn about stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's on the playground. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at school or just where, wherever little social interaction I had, but, um, you know, it's, I, I just kind of clung to my mom and, mm-hmm. um, I think there was some daycare and, you know, some babysitters and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's really kind of kind of a blur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sure. Well, yeah. and, 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 and I, even as then as an only child growing up, as your parents are getting older, and you shared with me about your parents now live in Florida. And, yeah. and, and so some of those responsibilities, well, I mean, all those responsibilities of parents getting older are now just on one. Yeah. You know, there's not, there's not five other siblings to, to oh, share no. that with. And I mean, I've, maybe there's some goods and bads of that. Um, but, um, but nonetheless, that is an element, um, of when you get older, there's no one to share that experience no. with the taking care of parents. And I know that's is my, my dad's birthday. He's seven, 75th birthdays tomorrow. And, um, and knowing that as, as they're getting older, I have not only my wife, but I have uh, my brother that will, um, hopefully help out and contribute, you know, uh, of taking care of as they continue to get out, you know, continue to get older as we get older. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, there's a lot of talk, you know, they're here right now. Um, they're, they came up, um, they flew, uh, last year they drove, um, it's getting to that point where driving is, is, is not a good choice. Mm-hmm. It's just way too far. Yeah. And, um, and even the, the flight, you know, now you're looking for the wheelchair and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, my dad, um, neuropathy, he's okay. got several things that all lead into one big thing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just tired and it's, it's hard to watch. It's, um, 
you know, he's such a a piddler, I got, but he's always he's he's that guy that would, you know, not call the carpenter, but he would put in the new kitchen cabinets and mm-hmm. he would roof the house and sure. you know, he just knew how to do everything. Yeah. And um I learned quite a bit uh, you know, from him on, on that kind of stuff. I I don't uh necessarily do that. I'm a I, I just kind of live in a house and I just kind of drive my car, but he, he takes care of all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, but I, I'm not the best car owner or house owner, you sure. know, but, um, so I'm not necessarily following in his footsteps, but mm-hmm. I did learn a lot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, back to the, yeah, the, the, his, his AL, my mother's doing really well, but you know, they are a long ways away mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of stuff going on with my dad. Just a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. They go to the doctor and, I don't know why this is going on or whatever this mm-hmm. is or that and, and just all kinds of mysteries, you know. Mm-hmm. And then my oldest daughter, you know, we're we're you know, we're all together mm-hmm. you know, in this. And so uh when that time comes, you know, we'll just you know, we'll just see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, Do your um daughters say they live nearby? My oldest daughter's uh in right in the heart of Chicago. Okay. Uh, like literally across the street from uh Lincoln Park Zoo. Okay. And uh, my youngest daughter with the grandbabies are just right down the road. Okay. Yeah. So uh, nice. Yeah. And so seeing them is 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 pretty simple. Sure. Sure. You know, making the trek to Chicago is uh, is always an adventure. I, I like to take the train and mm-hmm. and take the bus and sure. And just uh, we just go hang out a little bit, you know. But sure. um, so it's uh, you know it's all good. Good, good. So, uh, grew, you the majority of your um, schooling was in Morrison, Illinois, yeah, and um, junior high and high school. Obviously, grade school was back in Iowa, and um, and so, um, what was it like? What was what was what was your high school, junior high, high school? Were, were you in sports? Were you involved with? I know you're you play music now, but what what did you do? Um, what was what was junior high and high school like? Well, you know, it's 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 kind of strange. You're, you know, when you meet that group of people from kindergarten, mm-hmm. you know, usually uh, everybody's together mm-hmm. all the way through high school or something like that, you know. But uh, it seems like I would just always get, you, know, you just get to know some people. You get your little friends in 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 uh, in, in grade school, and then uh, and all of a sudden, here I am in junior high in a whole other area and a bunch of new friends. So all mm-hmm. that fear and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was, uh, it was a little tricky at first, but, uh, you know, you meet that one person and then, and you meet another person and, mm-hmm. you know, then you start hanging out. But, um, mm-hmm. it was, uh, I was a pretty social guy. I was willing to meet whoever, mm-hmm. um, anybody that would, you know, I, I, I found out that, uh, you know, my self-esteem, I just wanted to be liked, you know, mm-hmm. like, like anybody else, I think. But, yeah. uh, sometimes I have a tendency to, uh pick the wrong people mm-hmm. just whoever sure and i uh, would give you the time of day you know yeah yeah it wasn't always uh my parents approval yeah kind of a thing you know sure <laughs> but um you know so um but you know I, I i think i was fairly normal in that just other than the fact of being a an only child and i thought when they said that when i found out that i was an only you know the mm-hmm. the description the, mm-hmm. the definition or whatever i thought they said lonely child and so uh okay so all of a sudden i'm just this lonely little boy you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. feel sorry for me yeah, sure, sure. i'm all alone sure sure but um you know and it was, again it was the 70s you know and just uh 
you know what what you do uh, you know you ride your bikes and you go fishing and um and, and then other things kind of came up mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know but uh we'll probably get into that yeah yeah so um, you know but it it is interesting and i think you know you know school's going to be starting here in a few weeks you know and when this when this conversation comes out and um there'll be there'll be a percentage of students who just like in your experience, either transferred in, went to, is going to a different school because they moved, whatever it may be. And and it is that element of how do you, um, where do I fit? Where do I plug in? Who am I? And you going to Morrison at the time of your junior high year, and and even more so, you're trying to figure out who you are in in the whole scheme of the world, um, in your world is a small little pocket of, of, oh, yeah. of, of, of your community. But it's the time when if, if our parents have done a good job, and it sounds like your parents did, it is at that time period where we naturally, because they did a good job and we are connected with them, it's time to break away and explore socially outside of the home. And, and, and they talk about this developing our identity, developing where we're at. And, and then we have this inner conflict of how do I fit in this identity versus role confusion is the, um, a psychologist named Eric Erickson who came up with this during that time period. And it lasts all the way through our teen years typically. Um, and I think there's a vulnerability that happens at that time period. And I think we can get involved because of just those reasons. I want to be liked. And maybe I don't fit in with this group or that group, or I perceive I wouldn't fit in with that group because they're smart or they're good at sports or they're good at art or they're good at whatever it may be. And, and I've already put myself in a position where I don't fit in or I pick up on social cues where they may not have welcomed me in. Maybe not even formally not welcomed you in. But, and, um, and so then we end up getting maybe into a subgroup and um, again, it goes back to what you just said. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to fit in somewhere. I just wanted to right. be liked, you know, and, um, and we don't even consciously know this other than we just want, just want to try to plug in somewhere. But so you had, you kind of alluded to this, that uh, there was also possibly, or there was, you got involved with some in, individuals and, and maybe started experimenting, started exploring avenues that mom and dad probably wouldn't want to know, which at the time period in in the late sixties and mid, mid to late sixties and in the seventies, this was, um, there was this element of giving permission to be a little bit more counterculture. Um, uh, you could either be like mom and dad, exactly how mom and dad were, or you could find an alternative path. But like for me, I know that wasn't, it wasn't as clean as that. Right. I was still living with them. Right. I still was under those. Oh uh, man. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> it seemed like it's a weird analogy. But like North Korea, maybe I shouldn't get too, I'm not going to get too political, but those people don't know what's going on. They don't know what's out there. I think that, that that's so disguised, you know, some of the the politics and, and, and keeping your people um, down like that. But I mean, it seemed like I didn't know what was going on out there. Mm-hmm. You know, what was in my house, you know, we had like two albums, uh, a Blood, Sweat and Tear record and a, and a Herb Alpert one the one with that chick with the whipped cream all over her. oh yeah oh yeah i remember <laughs> oh, that album yeah Ooh, baby yeah. you know but there's something about that but uh 
you know, just the, the music. And, you know, my dad was a like a talk show guy on the radio. He'd take the, the family truckster with the wood grain paneling. Mm-hmm. I, I might get a 15 minutes of music, you know, of WLS and, mm-hmm. and whatever was going on then, but not, not much. And so I didn't know what was out there. Yeah. But then you go to school and you, you know, your friends are talking about fog hat or who are they, you know, and, yeah. and bringing an album to school. And I'm like, wow, what is that? You know, and mm-hmm. you're just learning, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, so it was, uh, not that they were hiding things from me, but I, I just noticed that my friends were doing other things. Mm-hmm. That it didn't seem like I was able to do. Okay, so yeah. that may have been, and again, nothing. This isn't uh, criticism of only children. It's not. This isn't no, no. at all. But, but it is one of the setbacks, right? Uh, of of being an only child, you're only going to be exposed in the house to what your parents expose you to, right? And it may be what they do. Yeah. Maybe because that's how they were parented, right? And most likely, that's how it happened. So, you, you've talked about music a couple times. So, tell what, what was the? There's a gravitation toward. There's something about music that pulled you at an early age, even if you only got 15 minutes of IWLS. So, what yeah. what was that pull? What was that? Well, you just you just hear it. You know, you, it, it was like, man, what is that? Kind of, I kind of reminds me of Steve Martin and the Jerk. I don't know when he finally hears that little radio show at, in, in the middle of the night and he hears that jazz, you know, he's like, if there's more, there's, there must be more of this, you know? And, and, uh, I, I, it was, it was just that. And, and, um, you know, my dad had, uh, all sisters and, um, and, and just a, a quick side note, my, my dad's, his, his last sister passed away, uh, just this last week. And oh, right. okay. I'm sorry so, that. yeah, so that's, you know, we're, we had birth of, Birthdays of babies yesterday and, and visitations and funerals tomorrow. So it's okay. uh, kind of one of those bittersweet moments. But um, my one uh, my one my one aunt, uh, twenty year difference uh, of my dad. Um, we would go over there on Sundays after church, and uh, my aunt Susie, and man, she'd hey come on up to my room and you know and be turn me on to the monkeys and you know. The Stones and the Beatles. She was a Beatle freak, and uh, just whatever was going on at that okay. time, I got to hear all this stuff, and it was like more and more and more, you know. And uh, okay. so this was your aunt that maybe was the first real introduction time. to to music, like different time. types of music. So I'm like this little twerpy kid, you know, butch haircut, just kind of a dork, you know, going through that phase, you know, and and uh, I'm eight or nine, you know, and going over to her house and. And uh, she's spinning, you know, the records for me and, and showing me this stuff. And nice. So it was that was, and uh, you know, she was very uh, instrumental in in getting me into that. You know, along with with friends who, you know, had uh, all these cassettes. Sure. I remember. I remember Hotel California when it came out. And this friend of mine had this cassette. And it's like, wow, what this is amazing. You yeah. know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that. I, I was born in 68 and it was probably, I don't remember, maybe 74, something like that, 74, 75, around that time period maybe. And my uncle, my mom's youngest brother, um, we're, we're at my grandmother's house up in Beloit with, she lived with my, my other uncle. He comes in and he goes, hey, Kevin, look at this. And he showed me this picture and this, there was a wild hair guy just bug-eyed wild hair hair almost covered up the whole covered up the whole picture in you know, a space in the middle he goes he doesn't do drugs 
Ted Nugent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had that album. <laughs> oh, and it, it was, I think it was Ted Nugent, right? And uh, no, it was Cat Scratch Fever. And so, so it was, but yeah. I remember from that point on, I became a Ted Nugent fan. And right. I think, I think I've seen 15 plus shows of his right. and, and probably more. And, um, and and I don't necessarily agree with everything that he does and and things like that. But I, his music was very um, instrumental for me in me um, liking that. I mean, so it, I had an appreciation for you know when he was playing with the Amboy Dukes and and yeah. and the, I mean these were you know this was counterculture. This wasn't top forty. There were seven minute songs, eight minute oh, songs, yeah. you know and. Um, and then, of course, then from there was, you know, for me, my journey then, this is via my uncle, then Pink Floyd and then yeah. Foghat and, and that journey. And then when I was in middle school, <clears throat> then I was introduced to Black Sabbath and Nazareth and um, other types of um, Ozzy Osbourne and all these different other bands that had, had um, for at that time, it felt like a darker edge. Now we look at it today, and it doesn't seem like oh, that no. at all, you know. Not even. Uh, and it was, but there was that element of, um, you know, that uh, I can't remember the name of the Black Sabbath album with Iron Man on it, and and War Pigs, and all these different songs. And I just remember listening to this, going, "Oh wow, this is something." Yeah. This isn't my mom and dad's Sattler Brothers and Oak Ridge Boys. You know, oh, there's no, something no. else going on no, here. No, you know? that's right. You know, and um, and I and it very much. I very much gravitated toward, you know, that. And that was also, you know, when ACDC, you know, the original ACDC with Von Scott and, and, and that type of energy, ironically, right? Yeah, during yeah. football, during football half times, um, those are still the songs that are being played. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you know, 40 years later. Right? Absolutely. So, um, so music became a big part um, of your life and your draw toward music, and and it was also then an introduction, right? And and I think this sometimes, and it's not our parents. I know it's not their intent, you know. Um, I know it wasn't my my intent as a parent. It is that we want our children to be safe. We want them to to grow and and do well in school, do well, you know, in in life, not get in trouble, those types of things. But then it almost sets it up to make the other side of things even more tempting. It's almost like it then, because this is what they're showing us and what they don't show us, right? So then it's almost by default, the shadow side becomes even more alluring. Oh, yeah. And then if you fit in there, because that's who's accepting you or bringing you in, um, it's it's a pretty difficult recipe. Uh, a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, my parents tried to, you know, you, you, back to the sports thing, or did I get into, you know, I mean, um, the, the sports in junior high, there was a little basketball team there, uh, Morrison Junior High, and um, I tried out, and I didn't make it, because I couldn't do a left-handed layup, I didn't have that coordination. Worked on that all through the summer, my dad helped me with that, you know, and um, was able to do that, and uh, I did make the team. And, um, but I, I ended up getting this little paper route. Um, and this is the same team that actually went to state my junior year of high school. It's the same group of boys. Wow. And, um, but, um, I ended up stopping and, uh, just to pursue, well, money. Mm. <laughs> so I got this little paper route that paid like $2 and 50 cents a week. Sure. And, um, but anyway, um, I, it's, it's, uh, 
just what I was getting exposed to outside, you know, there was, there's more. And, you know, of course, the chances of running into different situations, uh, you know, other parents, how they are mm -hmm. with their kids. I started seeing that, too. I started seeing my, my friends being, seemed like they didn't even have a curfew. Mm -hmm. um, they could kind of wander around, you know, it's a small town, Morrison. Mm -hmm. They could seem like they were getting away with stuff. But mm -hmm. I'd stay the night at some of their houses, you know, you know, cigarettes, you know, mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. seemed to be smoking. And mm -hmm. I never had any money, so it's like everybody, you know, I was becoming a mooch because mm -hmm. I started exp exploring that, that mm -hmm. you know, thing. And, and um, But I could go to my friend's house and, and stay the night, and it seems like we could do anything. And, um, you know, but their parents would come home, you know, like at midnight or, but in reality, they were closing down the, you know, the country club, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and coming home, maybe a little intoxicated, right. you know, and right. I, I never saw anything like that, you know, yeah. from my parents. And, uh, you know, they were good moral people. I mean, I, mm -hmm. kudos to my parents. This yeah. is not a, they were wrong, you know, yeah, they were really yeah. protecting me from, from outside influences. And, right. and, uh, I, uh, started to fight. Mm -hmm. a little bit you know yeah, push back against that rebellion started yeah. to, to kick in right and uh once yeah. i got a taste of that it you know it just it get, got worse <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so yeah. uh well and i i know in my in my own journey it was very somewhat similar you know sports were always my thing and um and i tasted some success early on because of that and and that was a major shift for me but along with that, because of the, the school that I went to, a lot of those athletes in middle school um, were also individuals that if I spent the night at their house, they were also the ones that you could sneak out of the house. There was, you know, first introduced to, you know, um, smoking weed or drinking or whatever it may be. And um, but it was also there were individuals I also played sports with. I played football, wrestled and ran track with. For me, because I had so much of my identity wrapped up in the sports performance, and I noticed it affecting my motivation and my drive, it was an easy thing for me to say, no. You know, still wanted to be friends with those guys, still wanted to hang out with them, still wanted to do certain elements of that. But there's certain things that I, I didn't participate in because for me, I connected that if I did that, then it was affecting something that I knew had value for me. Uh, you know, it, it allowed me to go from invisible to visible. It allowed me to, um, at least that, that was how I thought. And, um, yeah. and I, and I was fortunate enough that I had, and not that I had a problem with anything. We're talking about a handful of exposures, you know, to doing stuff, but, um, but I made that connection that this is somehow affecting that, that kick we wanted to want to push a little bit harder when I was, working out by myself or whatever. And, um, and I remember making that decision that, okay, nope, I'm not going to do this. And, um, mm -hmm. but, but it, it, again, it went back to because of the performance, the, the sports performance, which is a whole nother had its a whole, whole nother issues later on in life. Oh, yeah, but, but, yeah. But, um, that's, I was the complete opposite. I didn't have the common sense, the, the smarts, you know, whatever it is to say no. Um, you know, yeah, you, you mentioned the weed. You know, it started with smoking a cigarette, you know, and, and uh, I, I remember not realizing you're supposed to inhale. And I was having a cigarette 
there's a Salem. I remember exactly what it was. And uh, this guy said, my friend, hey, you need to inhale. What? What do you mean? So he showed me, and I did it, and whoa, I got so dizzy. I mean, I had like bed spins. Mm-hmm. And of course, my uh, little, you know, it's to me that I was, uh, you know, had some uh, addictive uh, traits. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted another one, mm-hmm. and that's when I turned green and, you know, threw up. <laughs> so it's like, there should know. be some foreshadowing there. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, just little did I know what was about to come come down in the next. 30 years or whatever, but, um, it, it's, uh, but I just went to that. There, there was a certain acceptance, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I was always just mooching cigarettes, which, mm-hmm. which is like, then you get called names, you mm-hmm. know, then, then you start getting that stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think you're hanging with your friends, but you know, you don't have any money and everybody else seemed to have muscat allowance or something, but everybody had cigarettes mm-hmm. everybody, I had weed, you know, everybody had something. And uh, I was just always kind of hanging around and, hey, can I get some of that? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. can I get one of those? You know, and, and um, you know, when you start being called a mooch and mm-hmm. people don't want to really hang out with you anymore because you're just always mooching stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. I didn't mean to, but it's just the way it was. But, you know, the it started, my mom and dad, my mom is a, She's the ultimate church lady. God bless her. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she just, uh, Lutheran, um, you know, it started, I, I, I sometimes I joke, I say, I, I got my drug problem because uh, I was drugged to church, you know, <laughs> but um, I didn't quite get the deal. And I think I was like most kids, you're mm-hmm. sitting in church and thank God for the half a stick of gum my mom would give me. And, and hopefully the bulletin had some space on there so I could draw a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. because I just was not interested mm-hmm. in anything that had to do with it. But church camp, the summer I was going to be a freshman in high school, signed up for that. And uh, that's the first time I ever smoked pot. Hmm. So I was like, man, you know, my parents are like, so did you have fun, honey? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to do that again? Oh yeah, yeah. I want to go back to church camp. So mm-hmm. wait a whole another year, you know. Sure, sure. And uh, that was just my little secret. Yeah. But these these kids from Chicago, I tell you, man, they were they they were onto something. <laughs> these big city kids, but uh, couldn't wait to get back the next year. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some gal named Sunshine. I don't know if that was her first name or last name, but sure. but there was a. Uh, it was uh, quite the adventure. Sure. When you, you and I've known your story, but at some point um, it went from experimenting, right, and then it, it started. And, and again, I think you 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 na- you nailed it when you said secrets. When we start having that secrets, we start doing that double life, right? That's a a contributing factor. Is is when we start getting farther and farther into that dark side, farther and farther into the to the world of addiction because of secrets, and then all the things that imply, you know, the shame that comes with that secret, and you know how they want you to be, meaning whoever they are. In this case, maybe it's mom and dad, um, but then you've experienced, you've tasted something, you tasted what it was like that if I do this, this is how I can feel different. Let alone. Um, there, there's then also a, a community piece or a cultural piece that, you know, get um, relational piece that gets tied into that. But that feeling shifts things. And you've said numerous times this morning it was that, that there's more out there. 
you know, first it was music, and then there was other things. Um, and when, when for you, do you think that the uh, it, it, it turned into a problem? When, when did that? When did it go from experimenting or socializing, or, or did it did it turn into a problem? And, and maybe it was early on. I don't know. But wh- when did it turn for a problem for you? Well. In a nutshell, for that whole four years of high school, I was a, a team player on the football team. You know, I, I wasn't one of those guys that got to start varsity his freshman year. But, uh, you know, I played freshman. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, the pot thing was, that was just like that one time, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but man, my sophomore year, um, I was a offensive guard, started. Um, but still, then I started having, you know, secrets and um the booze thing is what started to happen oh okay yeah alcohol um my mom and dad were i don't even know if they were social drinkers i mean they had alcohol and they had a cupboard full of hard liquor and my dad always had old milwaukee in the fridge but he would always drink tea after he get done cutting the grass or something like that you know i just never really i never saw them drink Mm-hmm. When they go out for the night, they were the, the kind that would come home at nine, you know, not mm-hmm. midnight, you know. Sure, yeah. And, um, but you start doing, you know, people are having a house party. And uh, when I discovered that, the alcohol is what, I am somebody now. This mm-hmm. set me free. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was the kind of, immediately, I mean, my first drunk was alcoholic, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't stop. You know, I think it was probably the mixture of vodka, gin, whiskey, and I think the cream de mint is what got me. But um, <laughs> and just trying to mix it all with orange juice, you know. Oh, sure. And uh, boy, you know the sick, and don't quite remember most of the evening. And um, not sure if my parents knew about that episode, but um, um, you know, just for going to sleep and waking mm-hmm. up the next day, kind of a thing. But um. You know, it it was one of those things where people would have a house party, and anybody having a party, they're trying to get away with something. Their parents are gone, and mm-hmm. you know, and they they want to make sure everything's cleaned up. But when it's done, and I was the guy that would fall through the screen window or break a lamp, or you know, I, I couldn't walk, and and mm-hmm. you know, Kelly, you're not cool, man. You know, we can't have you around here. You know, because they're everybody's trying to get away with something. Right, right, right. And I was gonna make it to where they're all gonna get caught. You know, because mm. of my I couldn't hold my liquor mm. and, um, you know, I mean, drinking and smoking pot and taking pills and things like that seemed to be, a. that's all. I, I thought everybody did that. I didn't mm. realize that a good percentage of the people in, just in my class didn't do that. Mm. But I did hang with, you know, the folks that uh, did partake in, I mean, uh, having a little bag of White Cross speed, mm-hmm. doing microdot or acid. Mm-hmm. Smoking pot, you know, in high school. I mean, I remember Spicoli. If in a nutshell, me, that that part played uh, by Sean Penn, um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I was that guy. Okay, totally. Okay. I remember sitting in a, a a friend's Volkswagen Bug. This is before school, you know, smoking a joint 
and wearing sweater vests and like like we couldn't be smell, you know. <laughs> and then they're walking right into class. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, first class was yearbook. I was actually a photographer for yearbook. Okay. And um, uh, Mrs. C- I don't know if I can mention names, but she, uh, she great cool lady. Mm-hmm. She she'd say uh, to my friend and I, fellas, want you meet out in the hall? Come here. Um, listen. We've got a yearbook to get done. I don't really have a problem with pot, but you coming into my class stoned every day is a problem because we have this yearbook to get done. Okay, Mrs. Blank. Okay, well, we won't do that anymore. So we, you know, wait till lunch, you know, or sure, whatever. Sure. Um, so you can get this yearbook done. Sure. But I mean, unfortunately, I, my my photography skills they weren't. I mean, I had the, you know, the the thirty five millimeter camera and i was kind of you know finding these cool things to do you know like this gentleman here and uh i uh drugs and alcohol was just totally getting in my way and i had no idea that it was that was going on that it was interfering that yeah, much. oh not at all yeah but um I, I went all the way to wrestling state i wasn't the wrestler the we had a, a few of the guys from uh from our class uh go to state and so i went down there with a couple other guys drinking taking value um i don't even remember the trip this is like and you were supposed to be the photographer never made it to the wrestling match mm. didn't get any pictures mm. luckily some parent was in the audience and and took a couple of i mean this is the 70s where digital you know all these devices and taking quality pictures was not happening yet mm-hmm. i needed to be down by the mat and taking mm-hmm. pictures you know and didn't make it mm-hmm. and I didn't see that as a problem yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that uh, you know, I mentioned football, my sophomore year was, uh, you know, I was a, a team player. Like I said, it wasn't a standout, but uh, we were. I was part of the team. Mm-hmm. Junior year, I got kicked off for smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. My senior year, I got kicked off for uh, drinking at, uh, at the homecoming dance. Um, Bottle of schnapps was involved, and an English teacher was involved, and uh, you know I was pretty wasted at the dance, and uh, you know I had a date, and she couldn't handle me. Um, I think she walked out during the dinner. I I, I don't really remember it that well, hmm. but you know this is this is still in high school. This is just hmm. high school stuff. Sure, and so. My parents, you know, when when they got that call in the morning, my dad and I got in in a crazy fight that night because everybody was going to an after homecoming thing or a a party after we're out to breakfast. And it seemed like everybody was able to be able to do this, Mm -hmm. except for me. And and now I got a side note. I was such a prodigal son (laughs) that I did lose privileges and mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't allowed to do certain things because I was in trouble all the time, all yeah. the time. And then I, and, and, uh, so I remember getting in a fight with my dad about, uh, the curfew and when I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be home at 11. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to be out, you know, infinite. Mm-hmm. Take a stay out. However, um, and I couldn't, and I was just irate in, in just a, a little poop. And uh, called them a lot of names, and well, it was it was a bad fight, and um, the door slamming and all that crap. And I, um, they went out that night. Well, 
back up. I was at the party, or, you know, in, in the in the cafeteria at the high school, and I was handing a bottle of schnapps to this friend of mine, and this hand out of the sky came out of nowhere, and it was an English teacher, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she grabbed that bottle, and um, trouble was about to go down, and somebody says, you better get out of here, man, you know, and so I just ran. I ran home, and it was clear across town. I think I stopped to vomit a couple of times. I ended up at home before my parents got. Remember, they were the ones that got home at 9, 9.30. Mm-hmm. I was home sleeping like a little angel mm. when they came home. And they just knew, well, Mike's home. This is weird. Something's up. We had went through all of that. Mm-hmm. And here he is sleeping like a little baby. Mm-hmm. Passed out. But they didn't know that yet. And uh, the next morning, the phone rings. It's Sunday morning. My dad, Hello? Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean, you know, you could just hear the voice, and the, and then the, the amount of time from the telephone to the hallway to my room, I could count one thousand, one thousand, two thousand. Here comes the door opening up, the, the covers come off, and all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm kicked out of school. Mm-hmm. My mom, my mom's a school teacher in this little town. Mm-hmm. You know, Rep, Mrs. Kelly was known, still is. I mean, just as three years ago, I was getting a massage at a, a therapeutic massage um, on my neck. And the lady, the gal had mentioned that she lived in Rock Falls, but then she had a little stint in Morrison. And I said, Morrison, that's where I'm from, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my mom was a school teacher. And Mrs. Kelly, Mrs. Kelly, oh, my God, I loved her. You know, I mean, sure. just to this day, you know. And so my reputation and and what they stood for and. You know, their moral values, and um, I just didn't want anything to do with it, and I was just an embarrassment to them. You know, mm-hmm. I know I was very disappointed in my dad getting off the football. He was proud of me. Mm-hmm. and um, Being on the football team. Yeah, yeah and I actually was I was starting my senior year. I was a nose guard, 155 pounds, but, man, I could shoot that two-hole, and I nailed that quarterback every time before they even knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was doing pretty good. Um, and we were, you know, like – I think we won five games and maybe lost. We were actually, you know, maybe going to be in the, the playoffs and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And it just, uh, you know, I got kicked off the second time. I never got my varsity letter, mm-hmm. you know, and just just disappointment. Mm-hmm. So then you go into that, well, they're mad. They're disappointed. And I didn't have enough smarts to understand that. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm going to take it even further and, make them sound like they're bad, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm grounded for the rest of my life. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just, uh, and little did I know that for the next 20 years, it was going to get a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, that whole addiction started. I just wanted to be accepted. Yeah. I wanted to be somebody else's name. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be called Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I was in a rock band. Just ask anybody at the campground when we'd go down on our family trips to Florida, these people I would never see anymore. I was I was somebody down there because I could just BS my way through everything. Make a story. Make just lying. I was a black belt in karate until I got my butt kicked one time. And, you know, scuba diver. Because um, I read about mm-hmm. it, so mm-hmm. I knew enough about it. Um, I never did any of these things. I just mm-hmm. wanted this acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so if I could be this or I could be that or make it up, you know, people would like me. Yeah. You know, you throw, I wasn't, I had a guitar, 
they, my parents were willing to do anything for me. Yeah. I think I took a handful of guitar lessons, and I and I know I did, but there was a particular chord. chord. It was an F chord. There's probably a reason why I called an F chord an effing chord, but I mean it was uh, it was just a hard chord to do and and. Stairway to Heaven and certain cool songs weren't even around to, to be learned yet, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, but I made myself out to be more of a guitar player than I really was, you sure. know. But yeah. nobody could see me. I did not ever get that opportunity to play in front of anybody, yeah. but I just it was just full of it, man. Well, you know, and one of the things that I think um, as an addiction counselor, when I'm trying to educate people, trying to explain to people either who are actively involved themselves and and are teetering on needing to get into recovery because it's now taken over their life but it's almost like you said twofold one one is the social emotional piece that that is that's that there's something i'm looking for i'm looking for something more i'm searching for something more i want to be somebody more and not necessarily knowing how to do it so we take shortcuts not telling the truth making stuff up keeping secrets right and then the other piece like you said there was something different when you introduced alcohol into your system. There was some kind of thing. And, you know, as a general rule, we look at it as from a genetic standpoint. Most individuals that fall into alcoholism, um, you know, later say that they're alcoholic, will talk about their first experience with alcohol as being um, something was different, right? And not all alcoholics, right? There's a thousand different types of alcoholics, but... But the ones that um, early on, right, you know, like you said, that you had that experience and it, you you may have practiced a lot. So you would think because you practiced a lot, you'd be able to hold your alcohol. But it was because it had a different effect on you Absolutely. than someone else. And that part of it not wanting to end, not wanting the part to end, not wanting, mm -hmm. you know, because you, you know, whatever reason, you know there was a part where you didn't want that restriction. You didn't want that party to be over. So one, one of it's a, the addictive piece. The other part of it is this wanting to fit in social emotional and then be accepted. And it's you, you experienced if I tell made up story, then, Oh, look at that. I got away with it. It worked. Yeah. It's kind of like getting away with smoking cigarettes or drinking or whatever. As we, as we kind of move forward, You've been sober now for how long? Going on five years. Five years in recovery. This this time. I've, the, I've been in recovery. I, I went back, crawled back into AA about 20 years ago. Okay. And um, that was kind of a rough start. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really want it. Mm -hmm. I needed to change. Yeah. And I saw the work involved. I was like, oh, yeah. this is going to be kind of crazy. But um, in in. And what longest amount of sobriety prior to these five years? What was the longest amount that you stretched together? Uh, those last 10 years, they just weren't in a row, but I had a, you know, year, then a, then a two year period. And, um, you know, this, this, this run's been really good. Five years consecutively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's different? Uh, just doing the work. Okay. So you, go ahead. Well, you, you, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, AA, okay, um, and they they have a very simple program. Yeah, yeah, and with with the twelve steps, right? Oh and, yeah. Um, in those principles, there's obviously the 
the, the steps within themselves and the fellowship that comes with that and the individuals that have been there before that you can you can get guidance from. Absolutely. But as you've mentioned already, it's it's not um, you know, I think it's I think it's important for everyone to know, right? Is that um, uh, there it's just like church or sports or whatever. When when the when a person's doing well in life or when they're not doing well in life, it has it has it's how a person utilizes the program. It's not if the program's good or not. It's not if uh, if the program's successful or not. It has everything to do with the utilization right. and the implementation of of in this case the steps and the principles and what's being taught. It, it's not necessarily if um, you know the, you know people will, who are critics of either you know, of church or, or the educational system, whatever it may be, they'll say, well, see, it doesn't working. Well, are they working it? Are, are they really working it? Or are they, you know, just going through the motions? Or are they kind of working it, doing it their way, right? And um, what this time was different because you worked it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It's that simple. Um, I, it's It was just time to grow up, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, I'm... 60 years old so 50 years old I mean my life uh, I had my oldest daughter uh, I had a letter from her that as of today uh, I am no longer your daughter mm-hmm. and she was a social worker with a degree in it she knew exactly what she was saying <clears throat> my youngest daughter that has the grandbabies um, she wished that she had uh, a disease that maybe if she was really sick, that I would focus on that instead of my drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, so you hear these things. Mm-hmm. You have these things. And my dad and I, this 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 wonderful man, um, still with my mom, uh, 52 years. Uh, you know, I'd call not too long ago. And, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about coming down to Florida. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to let you know. And, well... Just don't bring your crap with you. You know, I mean, just just your drama. Just don't mm-hmm. bring your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he would answer the phone. Hello, hey, Dad. Well, hang on, Mike. Let me get your mom. I mean, that's it. Was cut short. Mm-hmm. And today, hey, Michael, how's it go? You know, it's okay. uh, it's just night and day. But yeah. there's forgiveness, mm-hmm. and it's not quite on my end. Mm-hmm. It's it's on another end, and yeah. uh, so I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, you know, my mom, I'm her only kid, so. Mm-hmm. But you know that the alcoholism, and I think you said you know, something about you know it could be an inherited a, a gene, or you know, my my real father, chronic, mm. chronic alcoholic. Okay. Um, and uh, liked girls. Okay. But all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, strangely enough, I never witnessed any of his stuff. Yeah. Nothing. And I became just like him. Yeah. And I didn't even hear stories. Yeah. I knew nothing. And I became just like him. Yeah. Um, and then my grandfather, my mother's father. But she got to see him sober for like five years. But heavy smoker. Real, real man, you know, you know, she, she lived with alcoholic, 
that the, that magnitude that I think that she couldn't really have friends over kind of mm-hmm. a thing you yeah. know, back in the day. But so this this alcoholism thing has been around for a while. My dad has been exposed to it too, just with um, some of his uh, brother-in-laws. Sure. And, um, yeah. But anyway. Well, and I think, you know, and that's, that's what we talk about, the genetic predisposition, how our body um, craves a certain amount of dopamine, certain amount of things. And then when we get this alcohol rush or or the, the chase or the excitement of meeting someone new and that honeymoon phase of meeting oh, someone yeah. new, even if, it, even if the cycle time's just a night, right? Um, those are all things that certain individuals will have a, a predisposition to or, for lack of a better term, allergic reaction to. I, I want more. You know, there's a, like there's a hole in the bucket, and it just you need more to fill it up. And so that I, I think there's an element, and then until we surrender, right? That's one of the concepts we talk about. Until we surrender and humble ourselves enough to surrender, but then also then learn to get that same feeling because it's there's nothing wrong with the feeling. It's just I got to find different avenues to do to get the same feeling because if I don't, then I'm just going to be depressed. It's like being on a diet, right? Oh, yeah. and, and, and and diets are never successful long term. You got to figure out how to change your eating lifestyle. You know, you got to change. You know, it's it's about changing that mindset, changing that lifestyle. And so, um, I know you've been a musician. You've been obviously into music your entire life. And um, tell us a little bit about what you do with music now, and then how is it different now that you're five years sober? Well, that's it's my lifeline. Um, between playing music and teaching it, I think the biggest, most important part is the teaching aspect. The hundreds of students, and I can count on one hand a few little negative situations with a with a student, but they've all been uh, they've been awesome, you know. And and I'm I'm able to uh, talk about music, speak into their life, especially with the young guys. Um, you know, I can I can kind of talk a little bit about what it's like to be a musician, how you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know that 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 old cliche, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sex and drugs just about took the rock and roll away from me, mm-hmm. and because uh, that's a whole other aspect was the relationships mm-hmm. too. I just say, just get off the subject for a second. Relationships was the quickest white chip picker upper for me. And a white chip is, you know, um, cashing in your one-year coin or two-year coin or ten-year coin and picking up a white chip because you decided to try it again. Mm-hmm. And I would typically pick the most messed up person because then I, I started learning about codependency mm. and uh, and that whole concept. But back to the music thing. Um, so it wasn't always just the alcohol. Alcohol is a symptom. You know, mm-hmm. getting down to that cause and condition of yeah. that, that insecurity that why can't I just be, why can't I just meet this person? Why, why can't I just like myself? That's, mm-hmm. that's what I had to discover. Right. Why can't I be okay with me? Mm-hmm. And, and I missed that. I, and I had mm-hmm. so many people telling me that. I've, I've gone through a few sponsors that mm-hmm. actually kind of had to let me go. Mm-hmm. Just, Mike, they become friends and, and I'm still doing things that they would really suggest that I don't mm-hmm. not drinking but being involved with somebody that's yeah. just pure toxic and yeah. and I, I, I you know that that 
codependency and that that insecurity there yeah. you know well the for the individuals who don't really understand with codependency is this idea starts with wanting to be wanted and wanting for a price <laughs> wanting to help someone else out oh yeah right thinking that you can be that one to help someone else out and then when it doesn't work out the devastation and then of course the anger and then, of course, then feeling guilty because you're angry. And so yeah. then you try to rescue again. And then you fall into a victim stance because you're disappointed or hurt that it didn't go the way you wanted. And then you go into persecutor and we're around the triangle again, right? The, you know, I, I want, there's a story that a long time ago, when I was just a little boy, six years old probably, my grandma, who was my hero, my mother's mom, and... Uh, she uh, she worked on the railroad and she cooked for the the men on the railroad, um, and, they, and they lived on a train, an old converted passenger train. So it was quite cool to go see and visit Grandma on the train, you know, <clears throat> when I was a little kid in uh, Chicago Northwestern, and they'd be out in the middle of nowhere with this train on a side track, and uh, but we'd go to the grocery store every day and pick up groceries because she had to cook every night for all these guys. And um, I remember my mom or my grandma buying this gift for my mother because I was staying there for you know a couple of weeks for the summer and my mom was going to come that week to pick me up take me back home and and she said now don't you tell your mom that I bought this I'm like oh no grandma I won't do this well the minute I saw my mom 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 guess what grandma bought you you know and she's like Michael I don't like you anymore she said that to me and it was like <gasps> you know and I know what she meant today sarcasm it mm -hmm. just was that thing that we do every now and then mm -hmm. you know and to this, I mean, my last ex-wife, 10 years ago, said to me, did somebody tell you they don't like you? And I was like, what do you mean? We were in one of our heated moments, which was daily. <laughs> and then she says, well, every time we get like this, you always say, I suppose you don't like me anymore. And it just hit me. So there's that cause and condition. Yep. yep. I just wanted to be liked. Yep. And it was a huge thing. Yeah. And I wanted everybody to like me. Yeah. And I would be, I'm, I'm a people person. I've learned that about myself. I'm very social, very friendly, mm -hmm. kind, courteous. You know, what I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. And, um, but I became, you know, a, a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd give you the rest of my pot. I'd give you the rest of my booze, the rest of my Coke, the rest mm -hmm. of this, the rest of my pills, just so you would like me. And then, well, they, they like me. But then it was over, and then then I'd be by myself going, dang, I just gave all my stuff away. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, and then be angry. And then you're just disappointed, and you're depressed, and it's yeah. like, what the heck's wrong with me, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then you drink some more. Yeah, yeah. And so, but but back to this whole music thing, man. Um, I uh, That was a, a way to be liked. Yeah. An, another way to be... I wasn't a musician. I was half-assed at best. Mm -hmm. I was always like that as a student if i was getting a c on my final exam i i wouldn't even study for it or if i was getting a c for the year i wouldn't even study for my final exam because i knew that it would average out to a d because it just i, I did i didn't it wasn't that i was stupid i just didn't do the work yeah the it's like my program yeah the it, lack of discipline right no discipline mm -hmm. zero mm -hmm. just pure rebellion and and complete idiot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i was a freaking idiot I call myself a dumbass a lot, and it's, and it's true. Mm -hmm. But 
Well, let me let me let me jump on that for just a second because I've gotten to know you over the last two years, and dumbass would not be what I would think. I do think you've had some experience with taking shortcuts. Oh yeah. And I think that sometimes you default to the shortcut. Right. And that actually was a learned behavior that was pretty smart initially. Now, the fact that you may not have learned from it might be the dumbass part. I don't that's, know. That's probably, <laughs> okay. that's definitely it. <laughs> but I, don't, I would not think of Michael Kelly as being someone who's not intelligent. It's someone maybe in the, in the past uh, took shortcuts, oh, yeah. the easier path, or what perceived to be the easier, easier path. Easier, softer way. Yeah, And now that you've been learning, and I'm assuming it's the same way when it comes to teaching, that if, and I, and I just saw a post that you recently posted about a young guy who, who, who did a phenomenal job of playing, and you, you quoted on the caption something to the effect of not only continue to come to the lesson, but practicing when he wasn't in the studio with you. Mm-hmm. And that's not the easier way. That's the harder way. Thanks for practicing. Yeah, thanks for practicing. It's teaching those things that, um, you know, I think of like, you know, when we talked earlier about this idea of, of you know, addiction and alcoholism and, and keeping secrets and shortcuts, that had became your normal. And for you to cross that threshold into recovery and do a different path for a while there, maybe even still, there's disorder. There's this, there's this, how do I do this? And there's going to be temptations. People are going to hurt you and people are going to disappoint you and people, and then, you know, how do I get out of my head, right? How many times do we have conversations while I'm riding the bike and we're talking, you know, about little things, right? Oh yeah, I know. And, and how to choose a humbler path, how to, and, 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 and then, and that it's okay, you know, and, uh, and now with your students, as well as when you perform, you're able to give some of those lessons back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let alone your parents, because I know that you and your parents are much closer today than you were three years ago. Yeah, my my parents went to a meeting with me yesterday. I actually uh, um, okay. changed, or uh, I, I chaired a meeting yesterday morning, and it was a really great meeting. I, there was a, a lot of recovery, um, a lot of sobriety. Yeah. And one guy had 27 years, another gentleman had, like a year, and there was his aunt, um, so family, kind of a thing, you know. And uh, but my parents were present, and uh, nice. they got to see. They've been to an AA meeting or two with me before, but you know, my mom's just always a ball of tears because she yeah. just sees this, what goes on in, yeah. in a meeting. Well, she feels the pain. Right? Well, and she she sees the joy, and yeah. she sees the she yeah. sees the recovery. Yeah. And, and and has to be grateful for where oh, you're at today. There's no doubt. As we know, though, it's one day at a time. One day. As we, we know that we still have to choose today to do the next right thing. That's right. When there's some temptations to do the alternative. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. But, um, Mike, as we, as we get ready to wrap up for today, and I really appreciate you being on, I and even more so appreciate what you're doing um, for for individuals in the community who want to learn the um, music. Um, what, what, if there was something that you would want to share as we part today, what, what would you want to share? You know, f- I got so much going on through my head right now, but find find your find your get a get a vision. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, if you want to be a musician, then then be one. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a an athlete, then be one. Mm-hmm. 
you got to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, your parents are harping on you because they want what's best. But, you know, maybe you can get an A for yourself mm-hmm. and do it for you. And, mm-hmm. and I, I had a student, I had to ask him. I says, because, and I knew his dad. His dad and his grandfather wanted me to spend extra time with the boy. And I will pay you a little extra if you could just talk some sense into him. And uh, I remember asking him, I said, hey, man, do, do you, because your dad harps on you all the time about getting crazy, do you feel that you're doing it for him? Yeah. And you don't want to do it for him, do you? He said, no. I'm tired of this. I said, well, why don't you do it for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and that's what I've had to learn. Yeah. I, I, do it. Just do it. We have the, the means. I know yeah. some people come from different situations, but I can't. I didn't come from the other side of the tracks. Yeah. I wasn't on the streets. Yeah. I came from a great, great upbringing, yeah. good stock. Well, I think the difference, like you said, is instead of making up stories of who you want to be, you at some point started doing the work to be who you wanted to be. Oh, yeah. I've always been that person. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. So, Michael, I appreciate you so much for being here and sharing your story um, and being able to share it for other individuals. And uh, looking forward to you being with us on the 5th of September at Out of the Ashes. But your story is just one of those ways that how art can be used, um, music can be used um, to, to, for resiliency and for transformation. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you uh, for joining us today. And um, Michael Kelly, you can see him. He's in a handful of different bands locally where he plays out, as well as you can um, hear him play on September 5th at Out of the Ashes at um, Giovanni's. We'll have more information about that. But thank you again for being with us today, and we will see you next week.